This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Eminem Video Games, a great local chain of retro video game store here in Pinellas County. My favorite location personally is the new Pinellas Park location. Right. And there they have roughly 7,000 unique game titles in stock, a bunch of consoles, accessories, and even have a consignment section for all the really hard collectible finds. They buy, sell, trade. If you have old games collecting dust that you don't know what to do with, they'll take them for cash or in-store credit. And that's a little bit different than your usual box store gaming stores where they only give you store credit or an exchange of games. They are an easy one-stop shop for all gamers of all ages. They also have their arcade will be reopening in July and restarting their weekly tournaments called Saturday Night Slam. You can check them out online at m-and-a-n-d-m-videogames.com for their online store and news. And now, on with the podcast. sneak and watch it because we weren't allowed to watch it Mm -hmm. because it was super violent which was awesome yeah and same thing with me like i grew up in delaware at the time and so we had it because we were close enough to philadelphia and it was a part of our like local cable news and we i remember watching it like super late at night as well because it was just it, it was like the girls gone wild of professional wrestling. Yeah. It truly I, was at the time. I can't remember what channel it was on here in Florida. I remember that it, I remember when it was back in like 2000, it was on TNN, which then became Spike TV, which was when around the ta- time that like WWE made their transition to mm-hmm. TNN from USA because of like a contractual dispute. But it, ECW. And what we'll cover in this podcast, we're going to cover just like the basic history of ECW, starting with when they succeeded from the NWA and all the way up until the closure of the original ECW in around 2001 when the invasion storyline was right around the same time as WWE bought. Yeah. Yeah. The WCW WWE merger where um, Shane McMahon went on national television and said that he had bought WCW out from underneath of his dad. That's where we're going to be stopping with the actual history of WCW, or sorry, of ECW, because WWE's version of ECW is, besides the two one-night stand pay-per-views, is a pile of hot garbage. It was the Sunshine Network, which is now Sun Sports, which is... Channel 31. Bally. I think Bally yeah, bought it's, it. It's, uh, it's what, four? It was like, what, Fox Sports before then? It was Sunshine Network. Okay. That's here in Florida. Got it. It was Sunshine Network, and then it turned to Sun Sports, and now it's, I'm pretty sure it's Bally. That's and the it was on equipment. <laughs> like, yeah. 
1 a.m. in the morning. So I remember watching it and just being like, shh, keep it down. We're going to see boobies. Oh, my gosh. And that was... And the reason why we wanted to talk about this, and this is kind of going to be the one of the last episodes, I think, that we might be doing AEW after this, just to kind of wrap us up and put us into context of where we're at currently with professional wrestling. Yeah, I don't think we... I mean, we might do AEW. It's so new yeah. that it's... Not it's, really a hit. There's no real history behind it except for the how genesis it started. of it. Yeah. And because it's so fresh, um, we we might cover that like if we're going into just like in the beginning of an episode, like this is what caused AEW to start. Now we're going to talk about this. Yeah. And we're going to be starting to go into after this episode storylines of different professional wrestling angles that we have loved over the years and then what we're also going to be doing is asking you guys our viewers to be chiming in emailing us we'll give the email at the end of the show um, for suggestions coming up for new storylines or new topics and history that you want us to actually cover here at wrestleology at the end of the day we're gonna do our show the way that we want to do it but if we can get as much of our fans and as much as our audience involved as possible, the better. Yeah, I know. I personally want to cover some TNN stories, or TNA stories, because I didn't really watch too much of it. So. Yeah. And I got that Impact channel now. Oh, Impact Plus? Yeah, yeah. And I got the Ring of Honor. <laughs> the Honor Club? It's pretty good. Especially uh, with Best in the World that came up with all those matches. The one thing that I heard from Brian, I didn't watch it, so I'm not going to act like I, I'm some expert on it, but... From what I heard is that they really were trying hard to keep it within three hours. So like the last three or four matches were like one right after the other. They kept bringing out people like very quickly. They were rushing to get to the finishes except for in the main event. Yeah. Cool. Good story. Cool. Well, uh, speaking of stories, why don't we start off with the origins of ECW and Steve, since you led the last episode, what I would like to do is actually start off with this. In my little bit of research that I've done, the genesis of ECW really starts with another federation, uh, which is called Tri-State. It was the Tri-State Wrestling Alliance, and that was back in... A little bit before the 1990s, it was back in 1989. It was founded by Joel Goodhart, who was an affiliate of the NWA. He actually was bought out in 1992 by Todd Gordon, who then rebranded and renamed the Tri-State Wrestling Alliance underneath NWA Eastern Championship Wrestling and started to become an affiliate of the NWA. He had a head booker at the time in Eddie Gilbert, hotshot Eddie Gilbert, who used to be... Hot stuff. Hot stuff, sorry. Hot Hot stuff, stuff. Eddie Gilbert, um, that used to be the booker at the time. And what the reason why he is important is because he was the one that secured a time slot for NWA ECW in April of 1993, in Philadelphia, where they were located. And the Sports Channel Philadelphia, right? Yeah, Sports Channel Philadelphia. 
And the reason why that is important is because Philadelphia at the time was probably one of the five major markets and, and probably still is. And considering how close they are to New York, New York Connecticut area, yep. they were probably in, under WWF's wing. 100%. And especially in that Northeastern Territory, you're looking at a lot of the same talent that might not have been in WWE at the time, but were coming out of it which is what the case was with the NWA ECW or the Eastern Championship Wrestling. Their first champion was Jimmy Snuka. For Eastern Championship Wrestling? Eastern Championship Wrestling was their first heavyweight champion. Yeah, they had like Don Morocco um, work through there. uh, Different, like kind of the same way that like TNA was in the early 2000s where you would see like Hulk Hogan, Kevin Nash, Booker T., Sting, no offense to Sting, but like you would see like all these guys that were past their prime clearly, and they are now wrestling underneath this one banner, um, trying to collect as much money as they could from the indies. And Todd Gordon, underneath of his own leadership, actually had a falling out with Eddie Gilbert. They had some sort of fallout. Um, didn't really look into it much, but I think that it was more so like a conspiracy from what a lot of uh, the reporting was. Wikipedia, different sites like Bleacher Report. They said that it was more of like a conspiracy by Paul Heyman, who was actually working in both the Crockett promotion, which was, I believe, in the Northeast. I forget what it is. And ECW is like a co-booker and would split his time because he was recently fired from WCW, which was just acquired by Ted Turner. And he was fired by Eric Bischoff, who was the new hotshot, new producer of the show, and was named now the executive vice president of WCW. Um, In about, in around 93, 94-ish. So real quick, let me um, sidebar what you were talking about, Eddie Gilbert. And Todd Gordon having a falling out. So, what I I just looked up five websites. Five websites said it's because Paul Heyman pretty much played them against each other. Oh, that's great! What a fucking scumbag! <laughs> what a scumbag! You know what's very funny about this though is that I love Paul Heyman. It's a great business, man. I love Paul Heyman. I and I and the reason why I love him is because I feel like he was I feel like Vince McMahon is what everybody got. I think that Paul Heyman is really what everybody deserves because he's just so creative, man. He was um Paul Heyman along with Raven were one of the two people that were trying to sue the EVP from WCW for saying anti-Semitic things. Oh, really? Yeah, I remember it was Scotty Flamingo and Paul E. Dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, Paul E. Dangerous is Paul, e. ha- Paul Heyman. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know you know. Yeah, I, I know. was just throwing that out there. Thanks, Steve. No problem. <laughs> so that's probably why he wasn't part of WCW anymore. Probably. Uh, and the reason why he brought, you know, Scott Levy, who is Raven, or Scotty Flamingo along with him. But moving past that is that now 
Heyman is the head booker in ECW. Jim Crockett comes to Paul Heyman and Todd Gordon with a proposition. Keep in mind, in August of 1994, around the time that Crockett went to Gordon and to Heyman, he, his non-compete clause with WCW, with Ted, Turner. with Ted Turner, when he sold WCW back in 1984, had just run out. Mm -hmm. And instead of going to work back for Ted Turner, he decided that he was going to go back to the NWA and help promote the former promotion that he had once helped and use their championship to prop up WCW so that he could probably do the same thing again. Now, he had come to ECW, which was Todd Gordon and, and Paul Heyman at the time, and had propositioned that they have a championship tournament, that they hold the NWA's vacant World Championship Tournament through NWA and ECW because Don Morocco, I believe, or Tito Santana, it's either one of the two, the champion at the time no-shows an event and is then stripped of the ECW, or sorry, the NWA championship. Yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't an ECW championship no, it was, yet. It was, not like that, but yeah. they, there was an Eastern champion. Um, but they they were going to make this basically the head promotion in the NWA. Um, now it's great location to do that. Philadelphia, it's yeah the probably the second or the third largest market in the Northeast, and it's right next to New York. It's a what four hour well, you drive you right there. Philadelphia, right there. Then you New have Jersey. Boston, Jersey. You have Boston. New York, Chicago, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, like all those big, big cities in the 80s. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And the early 90s, which is mainly the time yeah. that we're talking about right here. Now, the thing that is going to stop Jim Crockett from, you're an idiot. <laughs> Fuck, that's the second time I dropped that. You know, here's sidebar again. Here's the problem with eating Sour Patch Kids. I've eaten so many THC Sour Patch Kids that now when I eat a regular Sour Patch Kid, I get bummed out because it tastes like a normal Sour Patch Kid. <laughs> and you and you you're looking for that high. <laughs> what? what? Yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah, player. I know. You know I know. But getting back on topic, so. Now there's a major roadblock with the NWA ECW holding the NWA vacant title tournament is the NWA current president. Um, his name, his last name, let me get back to uh, the NWA president is Dennis. It's Dennis. I can't Cor read my fucking. It's Coralonzo. 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 Yeah. Dennis Coralonzo, who alleged that Cornette and Gordon were going into business for themselves to make a monopoly of the NWA title. I mean, he's not wrong. He's not wrong, first <laughs> of all. Second of all, uh, basically saying that Crockett's going to do the same exact thing that he did in the 80s, which, again, not, not wrong. wrong. But just because you're not wrong doesn't mean that you're not going to get fucked over in the end. And the reason why I said that is because when he said that to the board of directors, it pissed off Todd Gordon. 
Todd Gordon took a lot of offense to that and basically said to Paul Heyman, fuck this guy. How are we going to get him back? The level of pettiness. It's my kind of petty. The level of pettiness that is about to transpire is incredible. That's my my favorite (laughs) game is how petty can you get? It's my favorite game. So what the plan was is that Paulie and Gordon came together and decided that the winner of the tournament was going to throw down the NWA championship. They had picked Shane Douglas, or in WWE, Dean Douglas, but he's mainly known as the franchise. Yeah. Um, It was agreed to by the board of directors as well as uh, ECW, NWA, but it was contested by and also tore down by uh, Dennis uh, Coralanzo, or whatever the fuck his name is. Such a long name. Coralanzo. (laughs) um, That... He actually went on a radio show hosted by future TNA NWA commentator Mike Tanay, which was dragging Shane Douglas's name through the mud, saying that on radio, on air, on record, that Douglas was the type of guy that would be booked for a promotion, take the money from the promoter, and then no-show the event. And so, Heyman proposed... The idea to Douglas on the back of Dennis Coralonzo dragging Shane Douglas's name through the mud. So, let's just reset this scene because I feel like that's a lot of drama. Real quick. So, while you were talking, I was wondering if Shane Douglas is currently working. I haven't seen anything since 2018. But then I went down to his championships and accomplishments... Dude, have you ever looked at his championships and accomplishments? Oh, he's he's a very prestigious Dude, professional wrestler. I'm super bummed out that I didn't get more time with him now. So, Shane Douglas, former U.S. champion in WCW, former, I believe, television champion and tag team champion. In ECW, he was... What, three-time? Three-time four-time heavyweight champion, two-time television champion... One-time NWA champion won the NWA World Title Tournament. Yep. Dick. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Major League Wrestling, uh, dude, it's it's incredible. And this is really the start of his main success in professional wrestling. This moment here. Not only was the genesis of ECW, but it was also the kickstart of Shane Douglas's franchise character. Because in front of thousands of fans and then like a, hun- like a couple hundred in attendance over at the ECW arena, when he won the championship tournament, Todd Gordon, Paul Heyman, and then Dennis Caraluzzo were all in attendance, and they were in the front row. Oh, my God. Dennis's face had to be fucking... They probably needed a pallet jack just to oh pick God. up his jaw. So what had happened was Shane Douglas wins the championship tournament, puts the championship around his left shoulder, starts listing off the names of some of the greatest NWA heavyweight champions, such as Gerald and Jack Briscoe, 
Dusty Rhodes, Buddy Rogers, Harley Race, Ric Flair, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, and then promptly says, and they can all kiss my ass and threw down what was at the time the most prestigious heavyweight championship in all of professional wrestling. And he didn't just like lay it down across. He literally threw, threw it that down. Fucker. He threw it down and said that he was not going to be the man to carry the torch from a company that had died RIP seven years ago. He was going to ignite the new flame into the sport of professional wrestling and then proclaimed himself to be the new ECW World Heavyweight Champion. And that was the birth of Extreme Championship Wrestling, wasn't it? That was the catalyst. So the next day, um, Dennis Carluzzo, or whatever the fuck his name is. I keep mispronouncing his name wrong, but it's not on purpose. <laughs> it's just that I don't care. And it's I think just it's like Coral Coral Luzo. Coral Luzo. Because I mean there's Coral and there's Luzo. Luzo Luzo. So Coral Luzo, uh when asked about the incident, he said that Shane Douglas, whether he likes it or not, is going to be acknowledged as the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. And because of what happened at ECW, he was looking to see from the board of directors how they could strip him of both the NWA and the ECW Heavyweight Championship. The next time that ECW was on national television, or on television, Todd Gordon went on TV and addressed the statement by Cora Luzo and said basically that he had folded NWA, ECW, Eastern Championship Wrestling, and in its place he founded Extreme Championship Wrestling, and they acknowledged Shane Douglas as their first heavyweight champion. And they acknowledged Shane Douglas as the franchise. So that was when they actually first acknowledged the franchise. Yeah. And it was also the first time that they had acknowledged that it was now under extreme championship wrestling. And this is really the genesis of probably the most important boom period in professional wrestling currently. Not of all time, because I think that the 80s is probably the most important in professional wrestling history yeah. because of the rock and wrestling. Absolutely. And you have such ex historic moments that sh basically kick-started professional wrestling to where it is today. But it wasn't if it wasn't for ECW, we wouldn't have had an Attitude Era. No, no. I mean, you, you got to think. ECW brought hardcore wrestling to the mainstream. To the main to the mainstream. There we go. I mean, if you didn't have the ECW, they weren't. There was no hardcore wrestling happening really before that, unless it was in Japan or yeah. some like backdoor backwoods indie. Yeah, and that and something along with that is that, especially with the stuff that I've been watching mostly, is that they brought over like pieces of different promotions from Japan, like FMW. And all Japan professional wrestling. But they also brought over like luchadors. Like I remember when the rise and fall of ECW came out, where I'm watching like a two out of three best of falls match of psychosis and 
Rey Mysterio Jr. And it's just a technical masterpiece. And it's a brawl throughout the arena. And it's a young Rey Mysterio, who I believe is not even 18. He might have been 18. But it was him and Psychosis who were just beating the crap out of one another throughout the, the ECW arena. And to add on what you were saying is... They weren't just hardcore wrestlers like you were just talking about. Like the versatile, the versatility mm -hmm. of all these wrestlers were, like, like you mentioned, Rey Mysterio, Chris Jericho. I think got his mainstream start from ECW. Yeah, there in Smoky Mountain Wrestling for sure. Yeah, um, Chris Benoit. You saw Raven. Eddie which, I mean, he was already there, but he he created the Raven character. A hundred percent. Well, I I think that what you're getting at is is that. It, it, ECW was more of a variety show than all the other brands because we're now because we're not talking about just like characters. We're talking about the storylines that really pushed the edge of what professional wrestling could be. So what I was really getting a touch on was the the storylines were way ahead of their time. Like, way ahead of their I time. I think that's where the Attitude Era took a lot of inspiration from. I really do. Well, I mean, if you look at, like, Paul Heyman really pushed the boundaries, man. And what he did, like, there were a couple storylines, even if you, like, say it today, like, when they crucified the Sandman. And this was, like, Oh, after... when, when Raven convinced Sandman's son yeah. that Sandman wasn't his father. Yes. That was... And then stole his wife. Yeah. Yeah. And it was actually his wife and kid. And then had his wife and child help him crucify their father... And then did... The and then what happened... I, yeah, what happened a couple of years after that on WWE? They crucified Stephanie McMahon? I know. It's the same thing with, like, um, they had uh, Raven and Tommy Dreamer, where Raven was this cult leader, and he just beat the shit out of Tommy Dreamer, and Tommy Dreamer could never win. And then Raven's girlfriend, Beulah McGillicuddy, who in real <laughs> life is Tommy Dreamer's wife, by the way. They're still married, too, I think. Yeah, aren't they, they are still married, and they have kids to this day. Um, and they uh, they said that she got knocked up by Tommy Dreamer and that he was stealing Raven's girl. And then there was, like, a love triangle, and they did this lesbian angle about how she was cheating on Raven. And this is in, like, 95. <laughs> so, like, this kind of stuff wasn't happening no. on wrestling. Like... No. You were still in the superhero era, is what I'm going to call it. Like, where these WWF guys were just big monster superheroes. Well, I mean, and also, if you think about television at the time, like, this was around the time that, like, a lot of censorship was still happening. Like, Reagan-level, like, just say no type of things. And they have a character on ECW, which is the embodiment of, like, redneck america called the sandman and he's a cane swinging cigarette smoking budweiser swigging budweiser drunk man pretty who sure was, he was drunk too like oh, legitimately legit drunk because he had like so to paint the picture and i would really suggest to anybody that is listening to this to like go back and see just like a picture of prime sandman because he was a he was a dude that wore like Zubas or cargo pants to the ring and then would walk out to uh, Enter Sandman by Metallica and 
he would. You could see how hard I rolled my eyes, people. You'd you'd laugh (laughs) because. Name Sandman. What was his theme song? The Sandman. Sandman by Metallica. Oh, (laughs) go figure. And he would come out, and the way that I want to describe it is: Have you ever seen like Stan Hansen? You remember Stan Hansen? The of course I do. So. You remember the entrances that he would make in Japan where he would like swing the cow like the cow rope? Yeah. And it's like, awesome. And it would like hit so again, we're gonna go off on another sidebar. So Stan Henson, who is this ginormous cowboy looking motherfucker who is legally blind, but is made his living or did make his living because he I'm pretty sure that he's dead, um, off of being like this really hard enforcer type of guy. And his entrances in the ring when he would go to Japan is he would have a cowbell on a bull rope. And when he was walking to the ring, he would whip it around his head. And he would hit all the people that were in the front row in Japan so that it would scare the shit out of them. And it was unbelievable. Are you about to play a video right now? No, I was like a video just fucking popped up. And I was trying to exit out of it. But all of a sudden it said, wait. Not responsive. It's it's time that I get a new computer. All that porn you've been watching, man. Player. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I do a lot of it on my phone, though. Yeah, I mean, it's just easier. It's more accessible, you know. That's what the pop pop socket's for. So I can (laughs) hold it. So, if you have a pop socket, you know what I'm talking uh, about, people. <laughs> so, in 1995, Todd Gordon sold ECW Extreme Championship Wrestling to his head booker, Paul E. Dangerously, which at the time I believe had just turned like 30 or was 31. Because this is like young Paul E. He still had no hair on still top. Still had no hair on but, top. But he had he had that uh, he had that skull at rocking hard, bro. For well, a long time, you never saw it because he always had a hat on. Of course, and he looked young, and he wore those cowboy boots out to the ring, and would always talk just like he was always honest with the fans, man. Which is crazy because a fucking New Yorker wearing cowboy boots. <sighs> it that's worked. like that's he, like some oil money fucking tycoon shit right there. Yeah, I mean his dad's a lawyer, and he made a bunch of money off of WCW and was trying to. Venture off into something else. Trying to make his own mark. Well, and he did. I mean, he ended up buying ECW from Todd Gordon. And then afterwards, up until around 1997, 1998, uh, kept Todd Gordon on as the storyline commissioner for ECW. Um, The reason for this, you know, speculates a lot where there are rumors that have... Todd Gordon being a mole to WCW and basically allowing them to know when certain talents or agreements or their schedules would be coming up so they would be able to make them offers as quickly as possible yeah. and scoop them up. Um, can, so, I, can I point out this picture real sure. quick? I want to show you of Paul Heyman and his bodyguard. Yeah. Dude. I, <laughs> do you see the yeah. background? New Jack or Devon? I don't know who, I don't that, know is. who that is. It doesn't even say. It's just so it's a picture of Paul Heyman standing next to his bodyguard, and behind them is like curtains, 
And in the background, all you see is this face peeking out with this... I don't even know how to describe that that facial appearance. It's just nothing. Just some random black dude in the curtain. <laughs> just like <laughs> wide-eyed. Not even mean mugging. It's just like a neutral face. It doesn't even say who it is. That's what's hilarious about it. It just says, Paul Heyman appears with ECW security guard Ronnie Lang in 1998. That's incredible. Yeah. So, this stunt, uh, this series of events had kind of set kind of a precedent for the way that ECW was going to gain notoriety, right? They were going to perform stunts that were going to get them influence, that were going to get them main connections to people within media so they would become more aware of the product that was going on. Another one of these stunts happened in 1995 at the King of the Ring because the King of the Ring in 1995 was in Philadelphia, I remember when that happened, and because I, I was watching it. Right. And I remember my stepdad at the time being like, those guys, they, they, they wrestle for ECW. And I didn't, I knew about ECW, but I didn't know about ECW. You know what I'm right. saying? So seeing them and the camera, like WWF being WWF, tried to make sure that they weren't seen that much. Right. But uh, that didn't help. So what we're talking about is, is that in the front row, Paul Heyman, along with the Sandman, Tommy Dreamer, and Taz, sat in the front row, on the side, where it was like the hard cam from TV was facing. So, they I were... Only, I wonder if they... Because being in Philly, I wonder if Paul Heyman used his connections to get that. Well, Paul Heyman... Well, I don't think that... That was how... From what I'm reading, is that the reason why um, they did that was so that they could get WWE's attention. Because yeah, Paul Heyman Vince wanted... Vince McMahon, he acknowledged it on air. I remember that. Yeah. Now, it's crazy, man, because... That never happened. It never happens, and it, it... I mean, wrestling's a work. Everybody knows that. But this was the first time that, like, anything like this had really happened outside of, like, the NWO. Or, <laughs> I like, mean, Sandman threw a fucking beer at Savio Vega. <laughs> I know. It's fucking unbelievable, man. And then the next night... Um, let me see really quick. Yeah, the following night on Monday Night Raw on September 23rd, Taz successfully jumped the guardrail, um, and so did Bill Alfonso. Oh, in that fucking whistle. Yeah, and they successfully invaded WWE Raw and made it ECW from the Manhattan Center in the same time slot as... WWE on USA Network so that they could gain a little bit of notoriety. I wonder that was probably all work. It was probably all work. I mean, it, but like, it felt real. Yeah, which doesn't happen nowadays. No, and I mean, I think that what might have happened. I mean, maybe Vince McMahon was trying to gain a little bit of notoriety because he wanted to. He was competing against WCW, but yeah, and ECW fans probably weren't trying to watch WWF and their PG shit. No. They were trying to watch ECW, blood, gut, sex, and people getting fucking thrown from rafters. They just... They, 
ECW tapped into something that was not acknowledged in W in, in, in America. Because if you look at like Japan and Mexico, right? Because those are the two main places where you can really see hardcore a real wrestling comparison of hardcore wrestling, right? Um, I don't think it's so much in Mexico as it is in Japan. It is in Mexico because it's more of like their higher stakes um, that they would have. And also the syndication in Mexico is a little bit different to where it's not really centered around television and more so centered around more of the bigger events. Like as a kid, I knew that death matches and hardcore were a thing because I, I know about Mick Foley and Terry Funk. Yep. So if you know about their feud, you know that there's some kind of crazy death rat wrestling yep. in Japan. Yeah. And, and, and that's just evolved because in America, you couldn't really get that unless you were going on the indies. Yeah. And the, and the internet obviously wasn't really a thing. No. So there was a lot of tape trading and a lot of people that were like hardcore wrestling fans. I watched a lot of ECW stuff due to um, Blockbuster. Really? Yeah. They had the Blockbuster where I grew up at. They had every once in a while, they would get it. They would get an ECW tape in, but I had to have my stepdad rent it. Because it was, it was like they didn't have a rating. It was it was unrated. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's a that was the whole appeal of ECW at the time. Because yeah. if you think about ECW, the moments that really stick out to me, right, are when all the chairs get thrown into the ring, when it's Public Enemy versus Cactus Jack and Terry Funk, where. Terry Funk asked for a chair. Somebody throws it. ECW probably had the craziest fans at the time. It, and that's the bar. Like, even to this day, that's the bar. We, that, had, a, we had a friend send us a video of, I think it was CZW that did it recently. Really? Yeah, I sent, I'm pretty sure I sent it to you, where it was so many chairs. Like, it... Almost went to the top rope. It like buried the them. Yeah. God damn, man. But what I'm talking about is is that the bar for wrestling fandom. Yeah. That ECW crowd, because I'm sure it was the same people every week. It had. I mean, it was in the that. same place every week, same time. Like that had to have been the most rabid fan base of all time because they basically created this movement within North America I would to have make love it, I to hear that, that chant live. EC dub. EC dub. Especially there, because you don't really see a lot of like grungy places where you can be seeing professional wrestling. I know that you and I go, but like they're mostly these community halls that are like too yeah. well lit. Like the ECW arena was a bingo hall. It was a warehouse <laughs> in Philadelphia. Like in the hood of Philadelphia. Yep. And it was just like this poorly produced, cheap budgeted you, wrestling show. You actually recently bought a shirt to help keep it open, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, the twenty three hundred arena. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I bought a I bought uh Barely Legal, which is their first pay per view that was shown at the ECW arena where it was uh you know what's funny is that like I'm lo looking at the Wikipedia page and the Jerry Lawler alongside Rob Van Dam and Sabu beating up Tommy Dreamer, I'm pretty sure that that's the match that's advertised on the t-shirt. Really? Yeah, I'm pretty, pretty sure funny. that that's the match that's advertised on the t-shirt. But um, ECW, it, 
could not really get away from controversy. So <laughs> it's real hard to do it when you have fucking New Jack in there. Yeah. Too. So one to everybody that's been listening, um, it, we're not going to go in a linear order for this because there's not really like a conclusive, like middle portion of ECW because a lot of it's just like interwoven storylines. There's just like a, because of how short of a period that it was open, because it was only open from 1993, 1992, 1993 to 2001. Yep. Um, that a lot of the storylines really kind of are secondary versus the overarching impact of them. So that's really kind of what we're going to go over here. Um, but it, the theme of ECW was that like they could basically make something out of nothing because they always had issues with money. They always had issues with paying their talent on time. They always had issues finding sponsorships and different corporate entities to show their product at like a reasonable time. Um, they always had to have like a late night spot because of the content that they were producing. And then when they finally did get a national television deal, which was in 1999. With TNN. With TNN, which then became Spike TV. Um, they had an initial three-year contract. Uh, Mike Awesome being one of their big stars just fucked them. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a pay, I guess that it was a pay dispute. But because even though that because of the content that they had, they had no advertising. They had a low budget. And they had constant disputes with their broadcaster because they wanted to uh, change the content that they were making to be more family-oriented and basically water down the content, um, they became TNN's highest-rated television show and were on the network uh, network Friday night slots. It which just, it, it came too late. Yeah. And they had they were probably so much million or millions of dollars in debt. Yeah. I mean and, and the sad part about it is is that like I guess that when Paul Heyman said that if they were able to find funding for it, they would have been able to survive to survive and maybe have had lasted through like that financial hard time. Yeah. But they owed so much money to the pay per view companies back in like when pay per view was still a thing. That they just allowed Paul Heyman to go into bankruptcy instead of just renewing, like basically giving them and absolving the debt that they were in, because Paul Heyman was like, you know, we're gonna be the set, we're gonna be the only Vince and us are gonna be the only two that are gonna be on TV, and we're not competition to Vince. No. So why wouldn't you keep us on? And then when both of them and WCW went out of business, it basically killed the pay-per-view business. And then Vince McMahon lowballed every pay-per-view company because UFC wasn't a thing. There was no other like pay-per-views um, besides UFC was, but it, it wasn't, wasn't a big thing. No, it wasn't it was, as big as it is now. They were probably still on UFC like three or something. They it, and it, they didn't even have weight classes. No, then. but it, it they they weren't known the way that they were now. You know, no, they, they didn't they fill were out just, arenas the way that they I do today. I think they were called Pride at the time. They were still being called Pride. No, uh, Pride was over overseas. But, um, 
Another storyline thing that had happened, which Steve was alluding to in around the year 2000, Mike Awesome made a surprise appearance on Monday Nitro where he attacked Kevin Nash while he was still reigning with the ECW Heavyweight Championship. So, um, what they had said was that they made an agreement between ECW, WWE, and WCW that Mike Awesome would go back and give the ECW championship to somebody else or lose the ECW championship to somebody else so that ECW wouldn't sue WCW. And the reason why WWE is in this is because at the time, Taz, who was a former ECW heavyweight champion, he was so good in ECW. Came back from WWE, which is when he, around the time that he pre, uh, premiered and debuted against Kurt Angle and beat him in Mad Madison Square Garden at the it Royal Rumble. It still makes Rumble. me real mad how WWF booked Taz. Yeah, man. They don't know what to do with small guys. They Dude, just don't know what to do with small so guys. so good. He was, he was my favorite in ECW. Well, you remember... The match with Bam Bam Bigelow, right? The two out of three falls match. Is that the one? I they know, go through the ring. Yeah, I was going to say, yes. is that the one where he Taz-plexed them through the ring and you're just like, oh my God, what the fuck? Dude, there was a spot. There was another spot where he Taz... So ECW had a raised ramp to, so it would go directly to the ring. Kind of like what they do with AEW. AEW. Yeah. Similar to how they do it with AEW whenever they're at Daly's Place. Um, it, I don't know if you remember this, but he Taz-plexed him off of that onto the concrete floor he tasplexes him and he hits his head the back of his head on the steel barricade oh i didn't even realize that. oh my god and gives him like he gives himself like a stinger and i'm like oh my god that's fucking brutal but i then for like and then i see i'm like wait a minute he just launched a 350 pound man yeah like 10 feet I mean, Taz is, he's short, but he but is. he's a stocky motherfucker, yeah. man. He's like a, he's a judo black belt. Like, he qualified for the Olympics. That makes sense. Yeah. So, this isn't like, this isn't like a new thing for W or ECW, where they're having like constant turmoil within because of the financial problems that they're having. Um, they ended up getting canceled from TNN in favor for WWF Monday Night Raw when the Monday Night War was coming to an end, Paul Heyman believed that he could get another TV deal despite... Uh, sorry. We're not going to put that in there. Banana hat? Yeah, banana hat. Yeah. So when this happened, this was essentially the end for ECW because they couldn't find another suitor. They were in debt about, it looks like around a million, sorry, around a total of $9 million. And in that, they owed multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars to multiple different talent. They owed Rob Van Dam over $150,000, Shane Douglas $150,000, Tommy Dreamer they owed $100,000 to, Joey Styles they owed $50,000 to. 
Rhino, 50,000. Francine, they owed $47,000 to. And then they ended up just selling out to the WWE, who purchased their assets from the corporation that it was under, as well as the rights to its video library. How much do you think that they bought it for? Probably nickels on the dime. Had to because he was so in debt that he had no other choice. Well, he went. He went to bank. He like he was bankrupt. Huh. So the total company received. Oof. Eight hundred and sixty thousand dollars for the assets that they had owned, which were in total a hundred and one million four hundred thousand dollars. So they were almost ten million dollars in debt, but all the stuff that they were uh, that they had was only one point four million dollars. So. This might be WCW, but I'm reading $2.2 million is what he bought it for. Interesting. And they were in debt $9 million, you said? Uh, and then Paul Heyman has a job for life, basically, with the WWE. Because he fed them all of their best upcoming stars. Yeah, I mean, he had... Um, it, what I read was it was 24 undercard wrestler contracts in that deal, mm -hmm. the video library, and then the name. And with that, I mean, it's just it, it's just so sad because at the end of the day, like running a wrestling promotion isn't the easiest thing in the world. We've seen time and time again people not be able to keep these companies afloat like look at tna tna has finally gotten their feet out underneath them finally Dude, i was going to bring this up but i've never been excited for tna slash impact story ever ever and what's going on right now is fucking awesome like last night was slammiversary you had Chelsea Green come back. I mean, she came back to Ring of Honor also. Matt Cardona's back. Um, no, Ho no Way Jose debuted on Impact. Uh, what else has happened? I'm going to leave the big one for a minute because that's the one I'm most excited about. Um, Mickey James came out. There was... Thunder Rosa as well. Thunder Rosa came and wrestled. And... Dude, this one, and the fact that they just cut it off, pissed me off. Jay White. The Switchblade. The Switchblade. And it's just, it's so well written now. They've collaborated so well with AEW. And New Japan. They've brought in legit recognizable names that were not used properly in other organizations. They, so it's literally just the three... Smaller companies trying to take down the giant. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that all of them realize that there's a different alternative to professional wrestling, you know? Like, it's good, not. Good stories. Yeah. <laughs> That's really what it is. Not is the that same thing. Like, the Roman story is awesome, but it's starting to get old. It's almost officially a year. Yeah, it's starting to get old. It's too much. It's I, I don't... Like, they can keep the belt on them, but do something... 
different. Go, go a different angle. Like he can still be face. the head of the table. Well, turn him face. No, he's no. Don't ever do that. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> ever. <laughs> I was so over. I was over him in a month when he was face. Just turn him face. Ugh. No. Have him say sucker and t- suckatash again. He just needs to beat everybody up, including the Usos. Everybody. Kill everybody. Yeah. Kill them all. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about um about Money in the Bank. Like it's the first time that I'm legitimately excited. Like really? Friday Night SmackDown from what I watched like made sense. It made total sense. I'm going to have to end up watching it while I'm working. I know. Kind your of new your new job, which I love. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. Yeah. That's great, man. Yeah. Me too. Got to be a team player. Yeah, but you know what at the end of the day, um, you were still able to cut out time to be able to do this, which is much appreciated. And two, I'm sure that our millions of viewers out there, uh, eventually, uh, you know, when they go back and listen to this podcast, they're going to be like, wow, these guys who are now like these superstars in professional podcasting world. That'd be sick. That'd be sick. Be like, wow, you know, this like, guy what? ran a kitchen and then this guy got this guy food. Yeah. This guy was a recruiter. And now, look at them. You know what's crazy is I've been eating nothing but our restaurant's food recently because my my schedule's been nuts. I've lost another five pounds. Really? Dude, I don't know how because you know how I eat. What did you order from Arby's the other day? (laughs) Oh, you mean Thursday? Yeah. Uh, When you were doing trivia, I left to get food. I went to Arby's, as you know. Uh-huh. Well, I actually ordered for my phone because I didn't want to wait and drive through. I ordered the uh, smokehouse brisket with extra meat. Large meal. Which, by the way, my curly fries were fucking cold. And that bummed me out so much, <laughs> man. Like, I was so <laughs> bummed how cold they were. Um, And I had... I had four beef and cheddars. Mm-hmm. Those were for later. I put them in my back. Right. Of course. And then I was, I got there and I was like, well, fuck, I didn't order a road sandwich. So I ordered two of the uh, roast beef sliders. Mm-hmm. They were delicious. But later that night, I went home. I remembered I had some sandwiches in my bag. They were probably in there for a good four or five hours. <laughs> and I ate them. I didn't even heat them up. I just <laughs> ate them like that. Roast beef, Arby's roast beef sandwiches are really good cold. Oh my gosh. Everybody wants to know who's keeping Arby's afloat. It's me. (laughs) (laughs) It's fucking me. Every time that like anybody asks you, they're like, man, how's that 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 has to really tear up your insides. And then I now answer. I now answer, I'm like, it really, it really doesn't. It really like it's the same either way. (laughs) Yeah. I am I'm I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot wrong with you. But either way. Uh, yeah. Uh, guys, this has ended the uh, episode here for ECW. Yeah, short episode. Today. Short episode. I mean, yeah. but it's a, I mean, like, there's short history to it. I mean, yeah. Besides, like, and the main criticism that we get from this podcast is that we don't go into the storylines and blah, 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 blah. Well, we're going to. We just had to get through some history to let people know that. About wrestling. Like, if they're not watching wrestling and they're trying to get into wrestling is what we really created this podcast for. Yeah. We didn't create it for you fucking marks. 
Oh, he called you a mark! Oh, oh shit. shit! So, uh, for everybody that's left listening to this podcast right now, uh, if you have any storylines that you would like for us to go into and discuss and to uh, go through, feel free to give us an email at wrestleologypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can DM us on Instagram at Wrestleology podcast. Wrestleology podcast. Yes, that's what I said. You had a lot. You had like a sour patch in your mouth. So you no, I had nothing in my mouth. I was confused because like I didn't hear myself. My <laughs> headphone got turned down. And then you can also follow us on Twitter at underscore Wrestleology. Uh, my name is Luke Bad News Burton. I'm Psycho Steve Fury, and this is the Wrestleology podcast. Thank you guys for listening. <laughs>